today's update out, so we uh, we'll watch it tonight. We always watch this as we since we're talking about end times and there were things very interesting tonight. Uh, when he talks about, I don't know if y'all saw this this week or or actually yesterday, today, yes, today or yesterday, one um, there were two earthquakes in South Carolina. Did y'all hear about that? There's one in Irmo, and then one somewhere like 15 miles north of Irmo or something. There was like a smaller one. Uh, happened just this week, and he's he's going to talk about some of the earthquakes that's going on. So uh, so even as he was talking about that, I thought, man, this they're even happening here in South Carolina too. So uh, so let's watch Brother Joseph, and then we'll we'll get into the word tonight. Welcome to this week's End of Days Update, coming to you from Cox Creek, Virginia. We're at Cornerstone Fellowship Church. We had such a great time Sunday morning and Sunday night. If you're anywhere near Richmond, about an hour east of Richmond, we'll be here again Wednesday night. We'll have a great time getting into the Word of God. So hungry. It's amazing. The Bible says, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, as some would do, especially as you see the day approaching. So that's what the End of Days Update's all about, is the uh, blatant uh, being able to see the day approaching. So what do we do? You know, we talk about the rapture of the church. We talk about the coming of the Lord. It's not an escape theology. It's, it's a hustle theology. When you see the finish line, you run faster. So the whole purpose of all these videos are, hey, we can look at the finish line right now. Let's don't critique the finish line. The things that we get into every week are blatant. They're exact and they're precise. We're so blessed to have the technology that shows us the word of God coming to pass right in front of our eyes. So let's pick up with what's happened around Israel this week. Man, there's a few things that happened in Syria few things that happen with Hezbollah, a few things that happen with Iran that are blatantly a setup for the Ezekiel 38 war. Even the headlines that I read with them were getting ready. <laughs> There's this quote uh, in Debka and in Jerusalem Post, getting ready for World War III. So number one, let's start with Iran. Obviously, Iran's uh, crazy this last week trying to uh, stop a, a, a British tanker. It looks like the United Arab Emirates tanker that was uh, confiscated by Iran is still confiscated by Iran. So you've got Iran doing stuff in the Strait of Hormuz where oil's going out to the rest of the world. Very provocative. But this is the big deal. Iran opened up two brand new bases in Syria this week. Really uh, pretty amazing. Uh, Russia allowed them to move back into Homs. And the moment Russia allowed them to move, now this is a Russian air base in Syria, because we talk about Russia coming down on Israel. Uh, Russia has bases all over Syria, but the base there is so big, they decided this last week to let Iran move back in. So the moment they decided that, you had, uh, you had drones come in from Iran to that base immediately. And this next one is the one that really sets things up for World War III, and that is in Abu Kamal. Uh, you have Iran set up a brand new base there. And now, this is what they said. And they don't even try to mince words. They said, we're setting up this base so that we can attack Israel and attack American interests in the area. So uh, this is how far they, they went with that. They brought uh, surface-to-air missiles. They brought surface-to-surface missiles that were sh short-range and long-range. They started putting them in uh, command centers in, in the schools. Then they started filling the hospitals up with weaponry. 
So <laughs> when you have the thought pattern to say we're going to annihilate Israel, then you should keep amassing uh, armament. It's not a good thing. To the point that uh, that's what Israel's having to do. We talk about it every week. Israel has to go into Syria and take out those convoys because the armament is getting so sophisticated that they can hit whatever they want. With that said, now Hezbollah is in Lebanon on the northern part of Israel, on the north, on the north of Israel. Their leader, Nasrallah, came out this last week quoting, we'll take out Ben-Gurion Airport, we'll take out Jerusalem, we'll take out all these sites when we attack Israel. There's such a, a pronunciation of getting ready for an attack that Benjamin Netanyahu, Israel's prime minister, said, listen, we'll, uh, uh, it, it won't be like it was in 2006. This will be annihilation. Because in 2006, Israel was so concerned about being politically correct that they hardly would even go after Hezbollah. But Hezbollah has 150,000 rockets now, and you see them amassing even more. With that said, no one even says a word about the convoys coming from Iran to help Hezbollah one after another. There's no even verbiage of this. There's a 747 that comes three times a week from Iran down into Syria bringing armament. Now, 747s can haul a lot of stuff. So you have a lot of that happening, which is absolutely bizarre. You had the Palestinian Authority running out of money this last week, so Israel said they could delay paying their taxes to them. So Israel's always doing these things to try to make friends with their neighbors. And their neighbors just want to annihilate them. So you have Turkey this last week taking delivery of another set of S-400 missile defense systems. And why is that a big deal? We talk about Turkey. We talk about Iran. That base that Iran set up in the edge of Syria, it's the, this, is the, this is the kicker. It's in the area where the Assyrians come from. Now, this is their verbiage. And the Bible says that the Antichrist will be... Uh, called the Assyrian. So you have a, a hodgepodge lodge of military equipment coming from Turkey, coming from Iran, coming from Russia, right there in the area where the Assyrians are from. This last week you had a lot of earthquakes too. You had an earthquake in Japan, earthquake in Australia, earthquake in Indonesia. So you've got things that the Bible said you'd see right before the coming of the Lord. So how privileged are we to watch the setup for the Ezekiel 38 war? Now we know the Ezekiel 38 war happens right after the rapture because God completely intervenes. Russia comes down on Israel. And in this dispensation, uh, God doesn't intervene because he gave authority to the church. Notice the Holocaust. Germany prospered after six million Jews were killed because we're in the dispensation of the church age. That's what happens with the church. The church is raptured, and right after that, uh, we have so much authority, God has to take the church off the earth. So then the moment we're raptured, right after that, Russia comes down on Israel. The Bible says, so that, that the heathen may know that he is God. So you're watching all of the setups for that Ezekiel 38 war right now. It's absolutely amazing. So let's always go to the scripture. And we, we get into everything each week. You know that Jesus rebuked the crowd. Uh, he, the only time he ever rebuked the crowd was this, for this one reason. He rebuked the Pharisees many times. But when it came to the crowd, he said, you can tell what the weather's going to be, but you don't know your hour of visitation. So he wanted them to know. So that's why we look at all these things, because there's more verses pointing to the coming of the Lord than anything in the Bible. Pretty amazing. The whole book of Daniel, whole book of Revelation, so that we can see what it would look like right before the coming of the Lord. Let's go to the scripture, though. We always go to the signs. Number one, Israel made a nation. Next, Jerusalem won back. Jesus said, the generation that sees those two signs will not pass away until all is fulfilled. But then you have many more. You've got the Hebrew language restored. You've got the Ethiopian Jews brought back. You've got the fertility of the land of Israel. You've got the revival of the Roman Empire. You've got the Temple Mount Institute that's ready to start having sacrifices. We talk about it every week. This last year, they had a dedication of the altar, and they had a sacrifice on the edge of the Temple Mount. 
last year they got arrested for doing that. This year they didn't because there's all this pressure to get ready for the Messiah to come. They, they know it, and so here we get to look at what Jesus said, and it's very, very blatant. So there's many more. You've got 172 different species of predatory birds. You've got men will be lovers themselves. We have selfie sticks. You've got Ezekiel prophesying about a fish in the Dead Sea that happened this year. Uh, it's, it's just amazing the blatantness of the signs in our generation. I hear people go, well, those signs have all happened before. No, they've never happened before. Only in our generation we're very, very, very privileged. So... We've gone from signs, though, to signals. You had blood red moons on Passover and Tabernacles. That's pretty amazing to have four in a row on Passover and Tabernacles. NASA calls that a tetrad. When's the last time you had four in a row on Passover and Tabernacles? 1967 when Jerusalem was won back. 1948 when Israel's made a nation. 1492 at the Edict of Expulsion, the Jews were kicked out of Spain. After that, you have the Bethlehem Star. So you have all these tangible, physical things where God's going, hello, I'm about to come back. The whole purpose of knowing all the signs is he loves you so much. He wants you to have a heads up. Jesus said you could be living when all these are happening, but you could be downtrodden. So he said, lift up your heads, your redemption is drawing nigh. He loves you so much and wants you to know how close we are to about to see him face to face. We have a lot to do in a short period of time. It's like a two-minute warning in a football game. So we look at the clock and go, the plays are crucial. They're critical. So what do you do? You help your local church. Help your local pastor. Be more faithful than you've ever been. Be to church early. Be to church late. I mean, this is it. All hands on deck. Jesus is about to come back. I heard one guy say, well, Joe, if you preach on the coming of the Lord, just get everybody's hopes up. Duh. That's right. It's the hope that purifies us even as we're pure. So we have a lot to do in a short period of time. Hey, come back next week and we'll look at what's happening with all around Israel, with, especially with Iran and with Syria, setting up, uh, having the bases set up by Iran even more. Because uh, we're watching the setup for the coming of the king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Bright morning star, lily of the valley, firstborn from the dead, Jesus. Jesus, the king about to come back to the earth. Have a blessed, awesome week. We'll see you next week. Amen. Well, that's a lot. Amen. So uh, how exciting is that, though, that we're seeing it? I mean, literally, we are seeing the Bible unfold right before our eyes concerning the end, these end times. And, I mean, it's amazing. Some of the things we're going to look at tonight, uh, I mean, some of these are literally happening right now. I mean, they're, the, start of, the start of some of these things, we are seeing it. Uh, it's just incredible. Let's open up to Revelation chapter 19, and um, this is where we've got through chapter 19. We're doing, you know, we've st- went through the whole end times uh, all the way from Revelation uh, 4. You know, we hadn't hit every verse, but Revelation 4, after the uh, what we consider to be the rapture of the church, the church is never mentioned again until the end, and then um, and we've seen the We've seen the seven seals opened. We've seen the seven trumpet judgments. We've seen uh, the seven vials or seven bowls poured out. And, uh, and now we're, we've come to the end of that. Uh, we've been introduced to, to the Antichrist, to the, to the, uh, uh, the two witnesses. Um, you know, to, I mean, we, we've, seen, we've seen all these, all the, and the uh, false prophet. We've seen all these uh, characters, you know, uh, be introduced and everything. So we get to the end of chapter, when we looked at chapters uh, 16, 17, and 18, they were those informational chapters where it talked about the fall of Babylon, the world system. And what we're going to look at tonight, um, actually, let me, I'll hand this out to you. This is, I thought I was, so I didn't have to um, just give you all these scriptures. I just thought I'd print something up for you and make it a little bit easier for you. Because this is a lot of, there's so many scriptures concerning the end times 
and concerning uh, the prophecies, I think there's like 350, I think that's right, 350 or 350 uh, prophecies concerning, concerning the, the second coming of Jesus. When he comes back, did you get one? Okay. When, uh, uh, did everybody get one? When Jesus comes back here, and we're going to see, uh, tonight we're going to see the scriptures about when he returns. The moment Jesus returns, when he makes his second coming, uh, the, you know, when he makes his appearance in the second coming, like 200, I think it's 250, 250 Old Testament scriptures, prophecies will be fulfilled in one instant. I mean, it's an amazing thing. We're going to look at, we're going to look, we're going to turn back to Zechariah tonight. We'll start reading here in Revelation uh, 19, but we're going to go back to Zechariah and read uh, Zechariah's prophecy. Now, Zechariah was written, you know, I mean, I, I don't know how many years, something like 1,500 years or maybe something like that before, uh, before like Revelation was written. So, I mean, this is it's, it's incredible to see how these two are going to go hand in hand, and, and you're going to see. When Zechariah prophesied some things, man, he, he, he talks about some things, um, you know, some things that he sees that, that just is just going to blow you away when you read this. Um, if you get a chance, I, and if I finish your time, I may, I may even show it to you tonight. I don't know. That I'll, I don't think I'll have time. But if you get a chance, if you're on Facebook, go out to my, go out to my page um, and look. I found a, uh, somebody shared a, a prophecy, or, well, actually it was a vision, that Brother Hagen had in 1963. And they and it was like a five minute clip, and Brother Hagen prophesied about seeing uh, seeing a black hand rise up out of the Atlantic Ocean and cover the eastern seaboard. And he asked the Lord what it was. The Lord, the, it was a vision because the Lord took him up over the United States, and he saw the United States. And and Brother Hagen asked asked the Lord what it was, and he said that it was an atheist communism spirit. That was gonna that was gonna come a, across the United States, and it started on the eastern seaboard, of course, Washington D.C., and and made its way across the United States, and uh, and then he said he saw like uh, uh, like he, he asked the Lord about it, how how can you stop this or something, and and the Lord told him he said you you got to he said he said you're looking in the natural he said you got to look at the unseen, and the Lord showed him in the spirit and in the spirit he said he saw like a fireball coming out of heaven. And when it got closer to the earth, it just it you know it kind of broke up into a bunch of different things, and it and it went all over the United States, and then and then as it got as it got closer to these cities, it broke up even more, and then he saw people, and he saw people with like tongues of fire on their head, and he said that the Lord told him he said he said before he said before the end times, before the end of the before the end of this age, he said there's coming a revival, and he said people will be on fire for the Lord, and 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 there'll be a great harvest of souls. I, I'm, I'm convinced that he, he could have seen 2019. <laughs> you know, you look at what's going on in our political system right now, and, and, and just go out there and listen to it and see if, see if, you, see if what, what he says, if you couldn't say, man, that, that lines up with what, what we're watching in the news every day right now. I mean, it's just incredible. So, uh, but anyway, that's just a, if, you, if you're on Facebook, you can go out there and, and look at that and, and let me know what you think about it. So um, two weeks ago we looked at the start of chapter 19, which was the marriage supper of the Lamb. The marriage supper of the Lamb is going to be going on uh, 
right near the end of the tribulation period is going to be is going to be happening right at the end of the seven year tribulation period because we're going to be uh, we're going to be going through the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're going to uh, you know and, and of course we saw in uh, chapter nineteen about the 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 big celebration that's happening, the praise service that's going on in uh, in heaven. Uh, at this time, and we, you know, we have the five reasons for rejoicing. Full salvation has come. Justice has been served. Rebellion has ended. God is in control, and the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His wife has made herself ready. Man, what? I mean, that's a that's a praise service right there in heaven. Amen. And we're part of it. And so we're up there shouting hallelujah, you know. And and we went through those five hallelujahs that that uh, that are in the first part of chapter 19. So 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 now we're married uh, to the Lord. The marriage supper of the Lamb's happened. Uh, you know, we are married to Jesus now. And then at this moment, um, at, at, you know, and now we don't know the exact time frame of this because a lot of people think that, that the second coming is going to happen right like between the, the sixth and seventh uh, vile uh, bowl judgment because, because if you remember the seventh bowl judgment, the very last one, um, the angel cries out, it is finished, it's done, you know, and, and, and the Lord has come. And so... Uh, so a lot of people think that, that Jesus is going to come back right at the very end there. And, and after the Battle of Armageddon, then, you know, that's, that's, there's like a... And we'll probably get into this next week. We won't have time today. But after the Battle of Armageddon, there's like a 75-day... Uh, the Bible says there's 75 days before the millennial reign starts. The millennial reign, of course, is the thousand years where... Uh, which we're going to see tonight, the false prophet and the Antichrist are, are thrown into the lake of fire... Satan is bound for a thousand years, and then and then we'll go into the millennial reign. And the Bible says that you and I, as as um, that you and I as, as Christians now, as you know, because we'll be in heaven, we'll be in the have, we'll be married to Him. Um, I, I don't know I don't know how that looks. I don't know what what's going to happen. But the Bible says that you and I will rule and reign during that thousand years. There'll be mortals on the earth. We'll talk a little bit about that tonight and see see that even more next week. And, and there'll be mortals on the earth, and they'll repopulate the earth. And then there'll come a time after the thousand years that Satan is released for a season, and he goes out to deceive everybody he can deceive, all of those that, all of the mortals. Uh, and, and he tries, and, and the Bible says actually he deceives, he says the number of those that he deceives is, uh, is the sand of the seashore. And that's just it blows my mind, but we're going to see now when we when we get there, you'll see and understand some of that because some of that mindset of even what happened in the tribulation period goes over into the millennial reign, and we'll and I'll show you that from a from a human standpoint I'm talking about, and we'll see that probably next round. I'm way ahead of myself because because we're talking about the we're talking about the Battle of Armageddon right now, okay? So tonight, so let's just we'll just pick up reading here in verse 11. This is Revelation 19. Verse 11, and then we'll, I'll, I'll talk about the handout I gave you there in just a moment. Um, Revelation 19, verse 11, it says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. Boy, that's a beautiful name. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Now, if you remember, um, if you remember last time we looked, one of the, one of the hallelujahs that was shouted in, in the marriage supper of the Lamb or the preparation for the marriage supper of the Lamb was because his judgments were true. You know, because Jesus was faithful and true and, and the judgments he poured out on, on those that turned their back on him, that rejected him, it wasn't that Jesus was just being mean to him or God was just being mean to him. 
you know, one of the hallelujahs that we're going to be shouting hallelujah is because those judgments are faithful and true because they had a chance to repent and they didn't. And because, they, that, because that's the choice they made, there's, there's consequences for choices. We all know that. And, and so his judgments are faithful and true. And here it calls him. He says, you know, John, John looks up and he sees heaven opened up. Could you imagine this scene? He sees heaven opened up and all of a sudden here comes Jesus riding on this white horse. And, and we're going to find out just in, in the next verse, you and I are with him. We're on white horses behind him. I mean, man, this is, a, this is a massive amount of people coming out of heaven, coming toward the earth. But it says that, John says he looked up, he was on a white horse and says, He that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. Now, everybody calls the, the Battle of Armageddon, what we're getting ready to talk about, everybody calls it like, the, the biggest battle ever and the battle of all battles and, and all this because the, the Valley of Megiddo is, on the, is like on the west side of, or on the east side, excuse me, of, of, uh, of Israel. And it's a, it's a valley. It's actually uh, Mount Megiddo is where it is, the, the mountain. Uh, like if, if the, the word Armageddon, uh, Arma, it just means mountain. And then Geddon or Ghetto is the valley there. This valley is like 20 miles long and 14 miles wide. Napoleon, in, in his day, Napoleon called it the perfect, the perfect battlefield for a battle. And, you know, so it's always been said that, that that would be the perfect place to have battles. And actually there's been numerous battles fought on that, that, that area there because it is such a, a prime location for a battle. But what we're going to find is that all of the nations end up, and, and there's different reasons, people, people say that there's different reasons. Some people believe that a lot of these nations are coming to attack the Antichrist because they, because they, they, they have seen that, he's, he's, uh, that he has uh, uh, deceived them and a lot of them are coming to attack him. But then other people say all of them are just coming to annihilate Israel, which, which probably is the case. But what's going to happen when all these, all these people, the whole, you know, I mean this whole this whole field, 20 miles long, 14 miles wide, is going to be full of people coming to destroy either Israel or, or whatever the case may be. The Bible says, and we'll, we'll see this, the Bible says that, that when, when Jesus opens his mouth and the word is spoken, that the blood comes up to the horse's bridle in this valley. That's how many people are in this valley and how much blood is spilled. Now, a lot of people will say, ah, oh, there's no way it could be that much blood, and they just say it might splatter that high. But regardless, there's going to be a whole lot of bloodshed here in just a matter of a moment. Because what we're going to find out is this. You and I really don't have much to do in this fight. We're following Jesus and we're coming down. And when Jesus, when Jesus makes his appearance, he's going to open his mouth and the battle's over just like that. There's really not a battle. <laughs> you know, they think they're going to wage war. Jesus is going to open his mouth. I don't know if he's going to say drop dead or boo or I don't know what he's going to say. But whatever, whatever it is he says, all of a sudden they just drop dead and the blood comes up to the horse's bridles. You know, I mean, and, and that's the end of the battle. And so, you know, so good news about that, we win. Amen. So, so John, John, you know, he sees this. He, he sees heaven opened up. He sees Jesus coming out of heaven, riding a white horse. And notice what it says here. He gives some descriptions here of Jesus. He says, his eyes were as a flame of fire. And, his, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. Now, I want, 
you know, this is, this is one of the scriptures that I really want you to get a picture of. Because so many times we read scripture and we just, we blow right through this and we don't think about it. But I want you to put yourself in John's shoes for a moment. You know, John has seen all this devastation. He's seen all these judgments. He's seen, he's seen the wickedness. He's seen all this stuff happening. And then here in this instant, he sees heaven opened up. He sees Jesus riding on a horse, riding on a white horse, coming out of the sky. His eyes are flames of fire. You know, and, and he's got, and it says that, it says his eyes were a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. You know, the first time he came, he, he didn't come as a king. He came as a baby in a manger. This time, he's coming back as king. And he has many crowns, which, which tells us that the authority is back in his rightful place. Amen? And, and it says that he has a name. This, I mean, you know, and, and so many people talk about this and, and try to figure out what this means. It says nobody knows it but him, and I'll just say, well, I'm glad he knows his name. Amen. I'm glad he knows who he is, right? So it says no, he had a name that nobody knew, a name written that no man knew but he himself. And verse 13 says, and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And this is, this is the, actually the blood, this is the, the blood of the martyrs, the blood that, the, of the people that have been, been killed. And it says, and his name is called the Word of God. Man, aren't you, glad, aren't you thankful for the Word? You know, that, that coincides with John chapter 1 where it says that, you know, that Jesus, you know, he, is the, he was the Word and the Word was in the beginning and the beginning was the Word and the Word was God and, and, he, and Jesus is the Word. Amen. So this, this ties in with John chapter 1 just confirming who Jesus is. And then look at verse 14. Here, here we get into the battle. Here's, here's what happens. It says, And the armies which were, were in heaven which that's you and I, the, that's, that's all of us, the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Now, if you remember, back in the, uh, back in the first part of this chapter, right when, we get, right when we get ready to go in the marriage supper of the Lamb, the Bible says we were allowed to be clothed in white. And what was that for? That was for the wedding, but also it was our battle. It was our battle clothes coming back to be with Jesus. Coming back to, you know, we're, we're following him. We're clothed in white. We're clothed in righteousness. And we're following Jesus coming down out of the sky here. And, it's, and then look at verse 15. It says, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword. Now, let me ask you the question. What is that? The word. Right? That says the word's a sharp, a two-edged sword. And it says his name is the word. So here he comes out of heaven. It says out of his mouth comes a great sword, a sharp sword. And it says that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and tread the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. Now, if you if you run references to those scriptures there, Isaiah, I believe it's Isaiah talks about him ruling with a rod of iron, um, and there's different scriptures that talk about you know uh, treading treading the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. Basically, this is just fulfilling prophecies that's been prophesied of what Jesus would do. It says, in verse 16, it says, And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Hallelujah. I mean, that's awesome. And then in verse 17, now we could, we could say a lot about that, but I, like, like we've done with all this, we're just giving you an overcap, an overview of it. Verse 17, he says, And I saw an angel standing in the sun, 
And he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God. Now, if, you know, if you've been here every week, you know Joseph Morris, he, he said it again tonight, how he talks about how that there's a hundred and, what is it, 170 uh, species of predatory birds right now in Israel. Now, what is that? That is this right here. This angel calls these birds together. And basically, he's ringing the dinner bell and saying, boys, come and get it. You know, supper's ready. Because he calls them, and what do they do? They come in and clean the mess up. They clean all the, they, they basically pick the bones dry, you know, of all the, the of, every, of, of the mess that was made when Jesus opened his mouth and destroyed the nations that came against him. And he says, come and gather yourselves together with the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and them that sit on them, uh, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. Now, um, that's the end of the, the Armageddon, but let's read, let's just, just for the sake of this, because I, I just love this, let's read the next three verses, and then we're going to go to Zechariah and see what he saw about this. In verse 19, he says, And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. So here, so this is actually, you know, John, or John is seeing this and he says he saw, he saw the Antichrist. He saw, he saw the armies getting ready to, to battle. And it says in verse 20, it says, And the beast, now listen to this, this is great. And the beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that, that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image, these both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. So could you imagine? Here, here's what John saw. He saw Jesus coming out of heaven, riding a white horse. We're following him. All this destruction and all this evil stuff that he had seen the Antichrist and the false prophet do through you know all of these things, he saw him, he, when he saw him, what John saw next was this. John saw that, you know, the, the, the Antichrist and the false prophet and all the armies gathered themselves together and they were, getting, they, they were wanting to fight God. And then what happened when Jesus came down, I could just imagine one angel swooped down and grabbed the Antichrist with one hand and the false prophet with the other hand and just picked them right up and just threw them into the lake of fire. And then after that, the destruction comes for the armies. And it says, look at verse 21. And the remnant was slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. You see, that's not, that's not a very big battle. I mean, they, they arrayed themselves, they come against him, but you know what? He opens his mouth and says, you're finished. And they all, they're all dead. Now, that doesn't, give us a, that doesn't give a real strong description about what happens. Let's turn back to um, Zechariah. It's right the second to last book of the Old Testament, right before, right before Malachi. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, let's look at this before we read this. Let's look at the, um, the handout I gave you. And um, because the Battle of Armageddon really, it, it's not just one thing that happens. It's really a series of events that happens. 
And, and we've looked at most of these. As a matter of fact, we've, well now, after, we, when we, after we look here at Zechariah, we will have seen all eight stages of everything that happened. So let's just talk about it just real quick. And, and there are scriptures here that you can turn back to. We've looked at a lot of these scriptures. But, um, and this is, of course, the picture of Israel here. And it kind of shows you where some of these things are um, in relation, to, you know, in relation to, the, to the nation and everything. So number one is the assembling of the allies of the Antichrist. If you read Psalm chapter 2, uh, that psalm is a, that's the one where it says that God sits in, lab, in heaven and laughs at those that, that uh, set themselves up against God. But, but it talks about how that people, you know, they, they think that they, they can overthrow God, but there's, you know, God just laughs at them because there's no way that would happen. Uh, Joel chapter 3, Revelation 16. Actually, if you, um, if you look at Revelation 16, because um, let me look at this real quick, and I'll just read this real quick. Revelation 16, uh, we, we've, we've looked at this verse, but... Uh, because this is, this is actually the, the one place where it mentions Armageddon. In Revelation 16, verses 16 through 19, he says this, And he gathered them together into a place called, in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. And the seventh angel poured out his vial in the air. There came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. Then there were voices and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such as had not been seen where, while men were upon the earth. So mighty an earthquake and so great, and the great city, talking about Jerusalem, was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon came in, remembrance before God, to give unto, unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. So here it says, you know, it says that uh, when, when Armageddon happens, the seventh vial is poured out, and there's this great earthquake. Well, Zeph, or when we look at Zechariah here in a moment, we're going to see that Jesus, at his second coming, he's going to come down and put one foot on the Mount of Olives and another foot, uh, you know, touch down somewhere else. And when he touches down his feet on the earth, there's a great earthquake that divides the city of Israel or the city of Jerusalem. And that's exactly what Revelation 16 just told us. So they, the, the first thing is the assembling of the allies of the Antichrist. But now let me, let me just say this. This is happening right now. You hear, you hear the, the things that, that Joseph Morris is talking about, how Russia is, is letting Iran come into Syria, how, how Russia has bases. Listen, Israel is surrounded right now with nations just looking for the opportunity to wipe them off the face of the earth. They're surrounded. And, and you know, so, so the, the, allies, the allies of the Antichrist are assembling right now. You know, they're positioning themselves to where when the rapture of the church happens, they're going to be in place to where they can step in. And that's the Ezekiel 38 and 39 war where they're going to step in. And basically, it's pretty much as soon as the rapture of the church happens, World War III is going to break out because everybody's going to be after Israel. I mean, it's incredible. The second thing is the destruction of Babylon. We saw that in Revelation 17 and 18 the last couple, um, the last couple weeks. We've looked at this. And that's the destruction of the, the political system, the destruction of the economical system, and the, the, you know, all, all of that. So that's, gonna, that's part of this whole campaign of, the, of Armageddon. Number three is the fall of Jerusalem. This is going to happen right after the rapture of the church. The Bible says that, that it's going to be divided. Half of the people are going to be taken into captivity. The other half are going to flee. Um, if you remember we, when we talked about how that God told them to go to Petra, 
Do you remember that and how he told them? And, and actually how Petra is no longer allowing people to buy land because there's been so much land bought up. They're saying that there's no more land to be bought in Petra. But, but Petra is going to be a place that's, that's, that's going to be kind of a safe haven for Israel. And we're going to find out when Jesus returns, the first place he's going to go is to Petra to get those that are, that are waiting, that, that are in hiding getting ready to be consumed because the Antichrist is going to come after them. He's going, to, he's going to find out where they are and he's going to try to attack them. The first thing that Jesus is going to do, one of the first things that, that's going to happen is he's going to rescue them before, before the battle of Armageddon happens. So that is, that's in Petra. That's the fall of Jerusalem where half the people go into captivity and half of them run for their lives and, and, uh, and hide in the, in the mountains there in Petra. Uh, and then number four, the armies of the Antichrist at Basra. That actually, Basra is right outside of Petra. That's where the Antichrist is going to come and assemble his, his uh, armies ready to attack Petra, ready to attack the remnant of Israel that is left because he's got half of them. He's got half of them in captivity, and then he's going after the other half. And, and if you read those scriptures, you can go and read Jeremiah and Micah. Um, when you see that, you'll see that Basra... Uh, pretty much is going to be annihilated. <laughs> you know, Jesus is going to come and, and just wipe, wipe what armies he has over there off the face of the earth to save the remnant of Israel. Then number five is the, the national re, uh, regeneration of Israel. This is, this is going to happen when, when the remnant is saved. They come back and they're going to, you're going to find in the millennial that Israel will once again be the powerhouse. They'll be the, the central part. The, Israel will be the, the focus once again and, and uh, is the regeneration of, of the nation of Israel. Number six is the second coming of, of Jesus Christ. This is when, now don't get, you know, I used to, a lot of times when you, when, a lot of times people get the rapture and the second coming mixed up. They kind of combine those two. They're two totally different things. And the rapture is when Jesus comes down and he doesn't touch the earth, he doesn't come down to the earth, we see him in the air and we go join him in the air. That's the rapture of the church. The second coming is when he comes back and he's riding that white horse and he's actually going to touch down on the earth and, and start ruling and reigning and take care of business. You know, so it's two separate events. And the rapture, I, my belief is the rapture happens before the tribulation. And, of course, the second coming happens right at the end of the tribulation. And it's what, it, what's, it's what propels us into the thousand-year millennial reign. So then number seven, the battle from Basra to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And this is, the, this is where, where the battles fought, um, you know, where God is basically supernaturally saving Israel, saving that remnant. And then uh, number eight is the victory of sin upon the Mount of Olives. We're getting ready to read that here in Zechariah 14. And this is where, uh, and, that's, and, and when we read this, you'll be able to see that most people, a lot of people agree that 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 Jesus is going to return like right before that seventh vial is poured out because, you know, we just read that in Revelation 14 or 16, excuse me, about, um, you know, how it's poured out and, and that's where it says it is done and, and there's, there's the great earthquake and, and Israel's, or Jerusalem is divided into three parts and uh, the mountains open up and provides a, it provides a pathway for the river uh, for fresh water to get to the, to the Dead Sea and, and, you know, he, Joseph talked about how that there's fish starting to show up in the Dead Sea. Well, once that fresh water gets there, the Dead Sea is the lowest point on earth. You know, it's the lowest below sea level that there is. And that's the reason there's no, no life there. And, and, but there's coming a day where when, when that earthquake happens, the, river, the rivers are going to open up 
and that, that uh, valley that's created in that is going to provide water into the Dead Sea, and that's where life is brought back into it. So very interesting. Now, we could read um, chapter 12, uh, chapter 12, 13. Man, I mean, those are just chock full of, of, uh, of incredible stuff, too. Zechariah is one of these, uh, you know, it's an Old Testament, he was an Old Testament prophet, had... He had vision after vision. He was a seer, man. He, I mean, he had, he had all these crazy, he had some crazy visions that God showed him. But, but let's just look at uh, chapter 14 because this is describing what we just read about in Revelation 19. Okay? So let's, 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 let's just read what Zechariah says about it. And Zechariah said this. And remember, this was written hundreds if not thousands years before, you know, before Jesus came and Revelation was written. So it says, Behold, verse 1, Zechariah 14, 1, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. That's just what we talked about. You know, when, when at, that, at that time... Uh, the Antichrist is going to invade uh, Jerusalem after the rapture of the church and half of them will be taken to captivity, half of them will flee, but they're not going to be cut off because God's going to restore them. You know, that's what, he's, that's what Zechariah was seeing here. Verse 3 says, Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those, those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. This is at the second coming. He's, he's seeing the second coming. He's seeing the end of this, this whole thing. And, and you have to remember, um, now as we're reading this, remember a couple things. This is a prophet that's seeing these things in the Spirit way before it ever happens. And I don't know if you've ever had a vision or whether you've seen things in the Spirit before they happen. Uh, sometimes, it's hard to, sometimes it's hard to put into words exactly what you're seeing and, and how it all plays out, you know. But, but I want you to listen to the accuracy that Zechariah has here. I mean, this is incredible. It says, And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave or shall break in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall be removed toward the north, and half toward the south. This was the earthquake we, that we read about, that where it said the city will be divided into three places. Zechariah just saw, he said, when, when his feet touch the Mount of Olives, it's going to break apart into two. The mountain's going to disappear to the north and to the south. There's going to be a great, a great valley in between. Verse 5, he goes on to say this, And you shall flee to the valley of the mountains. That's talking about Petra. I mean, that's, you know, that's where he's telling, he, he, he was seeing Israel fleeing you know, to Petra. For the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azalea. And it says, You shall flee, like as you fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah the king of Judah. And the land shall, and, and the Lord, the Lord my God shall come, and all, and all of the saints with thee. And it shall come to pass in that day that the light shall not be clear nor dark. So it, it won't be light or dark. It says, But it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord, not day or night. But it shall come to pass that at the evening time it shall be light. Now, if you remember, in, uh, in, we, we read that in Revelation 16, where it says that angels stood in the, in the sun, and it said there was wonders in heaven. 
So I believe the angel will probably block the sun, you know, here as that last vial is poured out. And here's Zechariah seeing that. I mean, you know, you see how these prophecies just line up hand in hand with Zechariah and what John prophesied, what John saw in the Spirit. And verse 8 says, and it, shall, and it shall be in that day that living water shall go out of Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea and half of them toward the hinder sea. In the summer and the winter shall it be. Now here he's talking about that that river will flow to the, to the Dead Sea and also like if you see on your, uh, if you see on your uh, page here, the, the Sea of Galilee is to the north, the Dead Sea is to the south. So when the, when, when the Mount of Olives, you can see where the Mount of Olives is there, when it is, when it is split in two, half of the water is going to go toward the Sea of Galilee and the other half is going to come down to the Dead Sea. <clears throat> Verse 9 says, And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day there shall be one Lord and his name one. And the land shall be turned as a plain from Geba to Ribbon south of Jerusalem, and it shall be lifted up and inhabited in her place. Now listen, now that I don't I don't have all the details in that, but but south of Israel, I, I wish I had I wish I had researched this a little bit more to share this with you. But south of Israel used to be a barren desert. And and just recently, within the last fifty years or so, it has turned into one of the plushest and most fertile places that, that is on the face of the earth right now. And here he and and, and Zechariah saw this. He said it's going to be he said he said all of that land shall be turned into a plain. In other words, it's going to be luscious and it's going to be, you know, fruitful in that. And you know, so Zechariah is seeing this. From Benjamin's gate unto the place of the first gate, unto the corner gate, from the tower of uh, Hanel unto the king's wine press, and men shall dwell in it, and there shall be no more utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Now, here Zechariah's getting ready to see what happens when Jesus returns. When, when, when John saw, the, the, John described it like this. John said, I saw Jesus come on a white horse, and his eyes were flame of fire, he had a sword in his mouth, and said, he opened his mouth, and the word of the Lord came forth, and then the angel called for the birds to come clean the mess up. That was John's description. Okay? Now listen to Zechariah's description. It's a little bit different. Zechariah says this, And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet. Their eyes shall consume away in their holes. Their tongue shall consume away in their mouth. So Zechariah saw, what Zechariah saw was, was the army that, that stood getting ready to fight God. And when Jesus opened his mouth, the flesh just literally dissolved right away off their bones. Their eyeballs just dissolved. Their tongue just dried up in their mouth. Now, people say, because people always say, talk about, you know, the... the blood being up to the bridal source. They said, oh, well, people couldn't shed that much blood. But what would happen if all of a sudden all the skin came off your body and how many quarts of blood do we all have? Three or four? I don't, I don't, I don't know how much it is. But we all have quite a few quarts of blood in our system. But what happened if, if all of a sudden everybody, millions of people, dropped a gallon of blood on the ground at one time? The ground couldn't consume it that quick. And before you know it, that blood would rise pretty quick. Now, just, I mean, I'm just saying, I, I don't know how it's going to look. I don't know. Uh, all I know, I'm going to be following Jesus. 
Amen. I'm just I'm going to be watching. I'm a spectator. Amen. We got we got a front row seat. Amen. And it shall come to pass, verse 13, now listen to this. It shall come to pass in that day that a great turmoil from the Lord shall be among them, and they shall lay hold every one of the hand of his neighbor, and his hand shall rise up against the hand of his neighbor. And Judah also shall fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the heathen round about shall be gathered together, gold and silver and apparel in great abundance. And so shall the plague of the horse of the mule, of the camel, of the ass, of all the beasts that shall be in those tents as this plague. In other words, it's going to happen to not only humans, but the animals too. And it says, And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations shall come against Jerusalem. They shall go up, uh, they shall go up from... Now, now actually, Zechariah is actually getting into, he's actually getting into the millennial reign here. So now listen, listen to what Zechariah says about the millennial reign, and I'll, touch, I'll just touch on this in just a second. We'll, we'll go more in depth in this next week. And it says, and it shall come, so, so here at verse 15, that's kind of the end of the tribulation. That's the end of the Armageddon. Verse 16 goes into the millennial reign. Zechariah seeing past the tribulation into the millennial reign. So verse 16 says, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is left, so see there's going to be some people, that are going to make it through the tribulation period. Now, most people agree that there's a couple different groups because you have to remember, sometimes when we, when we think of this, um, the Antichrist and all of this stuff, you remember, happens in that Middle Eastern part of the world. It doesn't happen worldwide, per se. So there, there, there could very well be a lot of folks scattered around the world that, that are not over there in the Battle of Armageddon. I mean, you know, and, and part of, some of those folks are going to be the remnant of Israel. You know, they're not going to be in that battle. So, so the remnant of Israel, the third of Israel that is saved, two-thirds of Israel gets killed, a third of Israel gets saved, and as they get, you know, they're going to, that, that third of Israel is going to go into the millennial reign. The remnant, of, the remnant of the Jews, and that's what God's going to rebuild Israel with. And we'll, we'll go into that more. But... Um, it says, and it came to pass that everyone that was left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall even go up year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. So God is going to, Jesus is going to come down, set up, he's going to set up shop in Jerusalem pretty much, and his king, and, and the kingdom is going to be in Jerusalem. And it says every year people have to go up to Jerusalem to worship and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles, just like they did in the Old Testament. Now check this out. It says, And it shall be that whosoever will not come up of all the families of the earth. Will there be people that don't want to go worship Jesus? Yes. There will be people that don't want to come worship in the millennial reign. When there's no evil, there's no, there's no temptation, there's, no, um, there's nothing bad that's happened. Everything's great, everything's wonderful. But people will still make the decision not to go, not to make the journey to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles to worship Jesus. Now notice what happens. It says, And it shall be that whosoever will not come up of all the families of the earth into Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. So, so there will be famine. If they don't go up and worship, there's going to be, even though everything's perfect, even though there's no evil, they will experience drought in their life. 
Now you can see just, just a glimpse. Now you can see why when Satan is released and when he comes through to deceive, there'll be people that will agree with Satan and be mad at Jesus because, because they, they had drought in their life and not, not the blessings of God. They saw other people have blessings. They had uh, drought. And therefore, because of that, because of that, it very well could be that, they, that they'll be the ones that'll flip and say, you know, I agree with Satan. It's hard, it's hard to imagine, but, but Zechariah saw it. And it says, And if the family of Egypt go not up and come not, that have no rain, there shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite the heathen that, that come not up to keep the, fast, the Feast of Tabernacles. Remember, it said that when Jesus returns... Now, remember, I mean, it's the, it's the millennial reign. Everything's perfect. But what did it say? He's going to rule with a rod of iron. I mean, so even though it's perfect, there will be... I mean, if, if, you, if, if you have the terminology that he has to rule with a rod of iron, that means there's going to be some, some correction to be made, Right? And it says, verse 19, This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations that come not up unto the, to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. In that day shall there be upon the bells of the horses holiness unto the Lord. That, the words, holiness unto the Lord. And the pots in the Lord's house shall be like bowls before the altar. Yea, every pot in Jerusalem and in Judea shall, shall be holiness unto the Lord of hosts. And all that sacrifice shall come and take of them and see, the, see therein, and in that day there shall, no, there shall be no more the Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. That's the godless or the unclean person, the Amplified says. So that gave a foretaste of the millennial reign. I promise you this, next week when we get into the millennial reign, it's probably a little bit different than you've, than you've ever imagined it when you look at Scripture and see what the Scripture has to say about the millennial reign, what you and I will be doing during the millennial reign. We're not just floating around on a cloud playing a harp. <laughs> you know, like so many pictures of heaven we have, you know. So, um, so that was the Battle of Armageddon. Now, you can, you can, I, there's a lot in here. Joel's got a lot. Matthew, um, you know, I mean, that scripture in Matthew where Jesus talks about, um, talks about, you know, the end, the end there. And I mean, there's a whole lot in there that we could, that we could look at, but for, um, we're out of time tonight, so you can you can study that out, read those scriptures, and and uh, and get some more information on that. But but like I said, the the Battle of Armageddon it really isn't a battle. It's it's we're riding down, and Jesus opens his mouth, and it's over. And you know, and we get to see that. And the one of my favorite parts is is it says that the beast and the false prophet are taken up and thrown alive into the lake of fire. We're going to find out after the millennial reign, uh, after Satan Satan assembles all all the people that that side with him. He assembles them together. He goes to attack Jerusalem. In one word again, God is going to, God is going to wipe them out and he's going to pick up Satan. The, the, the Bible says one angel comes and gets Satan and just takes him away. Now that's actually before the millennial reign because it says one angel comes and gets Satan and, cat, and chains him and throws him into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. And that shows you, that shows you Satan's no, I mean, he's no match for God. You know, if one angel could come and pick him up and throw him in there, imagine what God could do to him, right? I mean, I mean, so so don't think Satan's you know the big bad bully. I mean, he's he's nothing. Amen. So so that was the Battle of Armageddon. So we're almost there. Next week 
we'll look at chapter 20, and that's the talking about the millennial reign. And then after the millennial reign, we get into basically uh, the new Jerusalem and the, the new Jerusalem and new earth in chapter 21. We, have, we do have the great white throne judgment at the end of chapter 20. Then new, new Jerusalem and new earth, and then eternity, and man, then that's where we'll be forever. Amen. So, uh, so it's getting good. Amen. So the end, I know it's been kind of rough through the, through the tribulation period, but, but man, it's getting to the good stuff now. So, uh, so the next few weeks will be fun. Amen. All right, let me pray for you, and we'll finish, we'll finish up for tonight. Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you, Father, that you've, that you've put this down. You've given us the revelation. Um, the very first chapter says this is the revelation of your son, Jesus Christ. And, Father, so I thank you that you've, you've given us insight into what's going to happen in the future. And, Lord, it should, it should make us, it should propel us, it, it should uh, encourage us to, to go out and be more about our Father's business and be busy uh, telling people about you and, and sharing the good news of the gospel. I pray blessings on each one tonight, Lord. I pray that as we go our way, send people across our path. Help us, Father, uh, be a light for you. Give us those opportunities to shine bright for you. Uh, in this dark world. And we love you and we honor you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God-